Hello and welcome to Actuarial People with myself, James Turner. I'm excited to be launching a brand new podcast where each week I'll be speaking with the UK actuary. My aim is to give you, the listener, greater insight into the people behind the profession and their personal career journeys. So we'll cover things like why and how they became an actuary, what they do on a day-to-day basis, how they balance work and study with life, any specialisms they've developed, and how their role has evolved over time. So whether you're an actuary yourself, or you're aspiring to become one in the future, welcome and enjoy. Please welcome to Actuarial People, James Nunn. Thank you very much, James. One James to another. Yeah. <laughs> how are you today? Good, thank you. You? Yeah, very well. Kind of. Uh, well, it's half term next week, and oh. we've got two two young boys, so that's going to be a tricky one fitting in work and having them running around. But um, apart from that, <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah, it's it. You're you're a week behind us here because we're just finishing ours. So, oh, nice. <laughs> well, thank you so much for for coming on as a as a guest. We've known each other for for some time, and you've got long time. Is it twenty plus years in experience in the market? Yes, so. indeed. Yeah. So lots to talk about. So I wondered if we could just begin with you giving us an overview of who you are and what you do today, and then we'll go back right to the beginning and uh, and work from there. Sure. So I guess I'm no longer a recently qualified actuary. I qualified a while ago now, and I currently work for ACTED or Actuarial Education Limited to give it its full name. And I'm an actuarial tutor, and yeah, I'm teaching a variety of subjects from kind of the more the more kind of IG generation technique subjects which people will know about, like CP1, which, yeah, you have to generate lots of ideas for, and down to the very first exam, CM1, with all the maths in it, which is great for me because I was originally a mathematician. So, yeah, and I also teach CP2, which is the modelling course for those that know. So, yeah, that is where I am now, where I've come from, I guess. I have been a pensions consultant. I started out in pension consultancy when I graduated and I qualified there. Then I had a little think about other things and decided to move to life insurance for a while. So I stayed there for getting on for 10 years, I think, and then returned back to pensions consulting before I moved to education. So yeah, that is me in a nutshell. Fantastic. Well, lots we can uh, we can explore in a sec, but um, I'll start where I always do, which is asking you to cast your mind back. Can you remember when you first discovered that actuaries existed? Uh, uh, probably a lot more recently than other people. I was very focused on university, the actual kind of process of being at university and enjoying what I was doing, because from I think from when I was 18, I started to really enjoy maths. And originally, when I went to university, I got in to do economics. I arrived at university and found that's not enough maths. And I chose to do economics and econometrics instead. And then I thought to myself, it's still not enough maths. So (laughs) I I changed again. And I basically did mostly maths with a bit of economics on the side to get maths operational research and economics degree. But yeah, I really enjoyed my studies. I didn't want to think about getting a job. I was even thinking about going on further and doing a PhD because I did end up with like the best mark in the school when I graduated, like the best, highest first class. Yeah. And I was thinking about carrying on, but it was my mum's kind of impetus, really, like saying, come on, you're looking for a job. You need to look for a job. Like, have you started looking yet? And (laughs) yeah. So eventually, once I'd taken my final exams that late, I just started thinking about what do I want to do? So it was some basically like I wanted to use the maths 
that was my passion. I really enjoyed studying maths and it became more like a hobby. And that's that's quite a big bit of progress for me because school was not something I enjoyed. But when I got to maths, that was something that was easy like for me to focus on. So I wanted something to do with maths and I was really ignorant about careers. But I learned that, first of all, about accountancy, but still that seemed pretty dull, like very arithmetic orientated rather than any serious maths. And then next I learned about actuarial jobs. Is this the return of the, lots of people have mentioned this, did you have a list of jobs A to Z and everyone looks at accounting <laughs> and then actuarial is next? Is that what happened? Uh, it didn't actually happen that way, but yes, it seems coincidental, <laughs> doesn't it? An alphabetical yeah. list. But no, it was it was more that, that being an actuary came on top of the searches you do for what can you use maths for. And so, yeah, it seemed like a no-brainer. And in my very ignorant frame of mind, I thought, yeah, it's going to be about maths. So if I'm good at maths, I can be a good actuary. But then I swiftly learned when I started being an actuary, it certainly is not all about maths. But that's the separate question. But the first I became aware was really around about when I was graduating. I might have seen it. So I'd actually come across the name at school when they kind of did some kind of mandatory career search thing. but. I didn't really focus on it or learn what it was until later on. Once you kind of got a sense, well, you you, you knew actuaries existed, you thought it was about maths. How easy was it in those days to get a sense of what the job actually involved? You just said you were slightly wrong about how much maths was involved. <laughs> how much info did you have on what an actuary was and did? Not a lot of information. And for me, I couldn't think of anything else better. So I didn't really research it much more. And at that point in time, you could the only decision I had to make really was on whether I went into pensions, whether I went to life insurance. And again, it was more about what opportunities were there there than what mm. I really sort of thought I could do because I wasn't really sure, to be honest. And yeah, I hadn't done a summer placement like a lot of students do these days. So for me, like working as an actuary was pretty unknown, except for the fact that it was meant to be good for mathematicians. So that was really what I thought, okay, I'll be fine then. I'm good at maths. I'll be all right. So yeah. I didn't feel I needed to do that much research. Fine. So how, how did you then go from there to your first actuarial job? So yeah, to start with, I guess um, I didn't find a job straight away. So I got a job as a temporary statistician, first of all. And I worked for a telecommunications regulator, Oftel, which I think is no longer now. But I only did that job for a month. And meanwhile... I got a job, my first trainee actuary job in a small company called Lyndon Jones & Co. And it was basically one actuary and a senior actuary and me. And so, yeah, that was my first experience of actuarial working, I guess. And the guy I worked for, I mean, I'll always be thankful for him because he started me off in my career. He was a real high flyer. I'll say that for him. So Lyndon Jones, people might know him around the industry. But yeah, he he was he started off, um, what was it, Barnet Waddingham. He was one of the founding partners. Uh, okay. And then he continued and built his own company. He then became like one of the directors of Jardine Lloyd Thompson, I think. Yeah. I believe he's recently retired now. But yeah, he was a real high flyer. And when I first joined, I thought, wow, is this what an actuary is? <laughs> and this guy is incredible. Like I have got such a massive curve to climb till I reach this sort of level. But yeah, I mean, different actuaries do different things. That was my first kind of 
observation, I suppose. What was it like? So there were you plus two other people. So did they have an office? Was it homework? How, how was it in those days? Yeah. So yeah, homeworking sadly didn't happen yet. And it was very close to Oxford Circus in London, a place on Cavendish Square. So it's a small kind of one floor of an office. And yeah, small room, just one room. So yeah, not very big at all, but it was there was no separate office for the actuary and the assistant for me we just all worked in one office together and I'm, I'm fairly old but it was I was we had computers anyway at least so <laughs> everyone had their own computer and there was a lot of printing still but yeah that that job for me was a hundred percent doing um, self-administered scheme valuations really and transfer values and things like that so it's everything to do with self-administered schemes small self-administered schemes and how was it what what did you you know, your first sort of few weeks, months, what were you actually thinking about the work and pensions and that sort of thing? So first of all, like every actual student will tell you, there was that challenge of working nine till five or perhaps a bit longer and also trying to study for exams. And I like to tell the students they had it very easy because I didn't have any tutorials for the first few exams I took. And also I only had half a day per week. Mm-hmm. And that was also at the discretion of the actuary. So he could have changed his mind at any moment, but thankfully he didn't. And I had that half day at least. But yeah, it was very hard. And on top of that, I had a one and a half hour commute each direction. And on top of that, I should mention probably as well, I was and I am a fairly serious athlete. So I was determined to keep running as well. Those that know me will know that I'm quite sort of passionate about that. So I was trying to juggle all those balls and it meant that I was having to get up in the morning before five o'clock to do a run, yeah. then come into work and then go home. And twice a week, I'd also do a run after work as well, like do a session. So it was very packed. And I'm not going to say they were the best years of my life because I was very tired most of the time. But yeah, I got through it and I learned some really useful things about how commercial, how, how to work, do a commercial job, basically, because you come out of university you think you got to quote figures to the nearest penny all the time and you learn actually you don't need to be that precise with figures like when you when you're dealing with big figures then it's ridiculous to get that accurate and particularly when you're dealing with actual work it's all about probabilities you're never giving a certain figure anyway so why quote to that degree of accuracy and that was one of the first lessons I learned I suppose in terms of doing my work that and kind of doing a nine to five job and all the pressures that come with that but yeah and you, you, you mentioned that it wasn't as maths heavy as you thought. I've always wondered this in terms of, yeah, to, to what extent are you actually sort of calculating things from first principles yeah. versus it's all there in a spreadsheet and you've just got to make sure it's working as it should. Tell us a bit more about that aspect. I think to start with, that I, I didn't learn that straight away. So to start with, I think any, again, any junior student will tell you in your early days, you do a lot of calculation work and... That was the same for me. So I did these small scheme valuations. It was all about figures, calculating things. But then I think for me, it happened when I reached a certain point in the exams. Suddenly, they're not about math so much. They're about generating ideas and writing instead. And it's not important that you have correct grammar even for most of the exams, but you have to be able to generate a lot of ideas and Things got a bit more subjective, whereas with maths, there's one right answer. That's what I enjoyed. But 
with actuarial kind of subjects later on, you have to generate ideas and they have to be kind of the sort of ideas that are going to score marks. That's not black and white necessarily. And for a mathematician, that's like a very hard thing to learn. And the exams started being less fun and kind of more about qualifying. And that I guess that was the first time I learned in the exams. And it's it's a bit later in your work that you start learning that it's it's more about kind of speaking to clients, explaining things. It's not about just doing the calculations. It's about the client understanding those calculations, understanding the results and what they mean for them. So it's it's a whole lot more complex than just being a mathematician's job. And if you're just a mathematician and nothing else, you're not going to survive. So you have to either adapt or you have to move. And yeah, thankfully over time I learned to adapt and communicate. And you actually take a subject called communications, which is now a days called CP3. And when I took its equivalent, I learned a lot. And I think I learned to and I adapted a lot and I did learn to sort of write a lot better for example, and I learned about that idea of writing for your audience, thinking about what they need and what how simply they need things to be explained or how much complexity they can cope with, for example. And it was a very valuable experience for me. And I think I can safely say I did adapt, but I came from it. I came to actuarial kind of the actual world from a very mathematical point of view. And then, yeah. But that's natural, right? I guess... You, you know that's what most people do and then if you're lucky and you you know you have something about you that makes you a natural consultant as well then great yeah, but yes. for a lot of people you know I mean I what did I study astronomy astrophysics it was, it was very it was very maths heavy and I was certainly not somebody who enjoyed picking up the phone and speaking to people I had to blag it a bit to get a job in in recruitment um if, if I'm you're doing quite well now well, <laughs> yeah but it's, it's, it's adapting isn't it it's sort of taking yeah, what your that's right what your, what your strengths are being aware of your weaknesses and just finding a way you know I, I knew I could always get on okay with people on a one-to-one basis so I just make sure there's never any more than one person in a room and and take it one step of, at a time sort of thing and um, do, do you think if someone's at university and they're brilliant at maths but they're not so brilliant on the communication piece are there things they could be doing at that early stage to prepare themselves for the world of consulting or do you think they just need to get a job and then adapt once they're in? Hi guys, we'll get straight back to the conversation in a second. Just a quick reminder that when I'm not recording podcasts, I specialise in helping pensions actuaries with their career moves, and I'd love to help you when the time comes to explore your options. I work with people at all levels, whether you have a couple of years experience through to senior positions. My approach is different to most recruiters. I started my own business last year and work alone, which means I have zero pressure to hit targets and can just focus on giving the best possible help and advice. So whether you're thinking of making a move now or would just like to understand your options for the future, please get in touch via LinkedIn or email james at turnerperkins.com. Back to the show. I think, yeah, if, if I could have done anything differently, perhaps I would have tried harder to get a placement. And then I could have learned earlier on kind of what it's like to work in a kind of a financial environment for a start not just an actuarial environment, but if I could learn that bit maybe earlier on, that would have helped. In terms of your background, I think that um, the degree you get is probably less important than sort of how well you can adapt as a person, because I've, I've seen it work both ways. So there are mathematicians that can't adapt. But equally, if you do have a maths degree, then 
if it's if it's a bit varied, if you've done statistics and economics, you can get some exemptions, for example, and it also stands you in very good stead to get through those early exams fast. That's the good bit. And then if you can adapt, then you'll do really well at the later exams as well. But I've seen people come in with non-mathematical degrees and initially they've struggled with the mathematical subjects, but then they can find they get to the later subjects and find them easier, which is quite rare. But I know I know someone who took um, sociology, I think, and who successfully qualified fairly quickly. Mm. So, yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have maths. I think you need to have maybe A-level maths and maybe it will be a bit harder for you taking those early subjects. But in a way, as long as you've got the ability to get through those early subjects, sometimes maybe it's better not to be a mathematician because mathematicians don't always have that full toolkit cool and in your case because you were working on small self-administered schemes did that mean that you had to you were thrown into the consulting bit earlier not really no no because i was i was crunching i was crunching the numbers really and in those days you just sent the you sent the reports in an envelope there was no (laughs) no letter no other communication so you just got the compliment slip and you sent them off to the appropriate ifa i think we mostly dealt with ifas yeah so yeah, it's very little communication involved at all for me until I moved to my next job, really. Yeah. So, yeah. And then, so your next job, so you joined a, a much bigger consultancy in your next job. How was that? Indeed. Yeah. Uh, so again, it was a big, steep learning curve because I did have much more variety. Variety is what I've always kind of sought in my career and in my education, I suppose, as well as much as possible. It's always felt like a safe thing to do, an enjoyable thing to do. But going to my next job, motivation where was to get more variety. And that that's kind of got swings and roundabouts because I'd not come up through their ranks as a graduate. I'd not had all their graduate training or the experience of doing this other work. So I'd come in there as a mid-qualified and I had to pick up kind of dealing with large scheme valuations. And in particular, I remember kind of sort of with dread doing like data validation work because I guess that that was never something you really had to do for SAS work. You had a handful of members. Nothing really could go too wrong with the data. All you need to do is compare the data you had this time, the data you had last time for each member. Very easy to do. But when you have like thousands of members, you can't do that with every single member. You have to come up with pragmatic, sensible ways of doing things. And I guess this is another taste of where it becomes less like a maths job because you don't just do kind of black and white things. You have to think about what's appropriate to do. You have to work out that balance between doing a commercial job, but doing enough of those checks to make sure you can be comfortable with the data. You get the balance right. You do too much. You spend too much time. Maybe you're struggling to meet deadlines or maybe you've spent too much money in terms of what you're going to charge on your hourly rate but you don't do enough, then you might be producing results that are wrong because you've got data that's wrong. So you've got to learn to reach that balance. And in the early days, that was a big challenge. That was something brand new. I'd never done it before from when I'd graduated. So yeah, steep learning curve, but I got the variety I was after. And is it the the scenario you just described, is it on you to figure that out and sort of learn by mistakes or are you told, right, do do this approach? You You do get some advice. Yeah. But no one's going to do the job for you. Like, that's not commercial. So you have to kind of learn. And there were, I won't name them, but there were particular individuals that were really helpful to me in doing that. And without them, 
I'd have been lost. But yeah, it's it's something that you have to try and do. And at first, it's not easy. And it's a bit stressful. And then eventually, after you've done it a few times, you get more of an idea of how it works. And yeah, another area where it's just a mathematician, being a mathematician doesn't get you through. You have to have that sort of understanding of the level of detail you need to go into. And you should go into. You do too much, then you blow the budget. You do too little, and your results aren't worth anything. And the senior actor is not going to be happy. Right. Were the differences in terms of... Presumably you had a full day to study, but was it easier to get through your remaining exams yeah. in a bigger company? Yeah, it's a lot easier. The thing is that that was a job an agency had found for me. And at the time, I just said to them, well, find me a job near a home or don't worry about it. I'm not interested in moving otherwise. Yeah. I like this company. I'm doing okay where I am. And they said, well, we've got news for you. We found you this job that's like eight miles from home. <laughs> Oh, was that in so Brentwood? Yeah, me, Brentwood, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's correct. So, so for me, I got more variety. I also got to work closer to home. So finally, I didn't have to get up at quarter to five in the morning. Maybe you could run to work. And, did you try that? And uh, Well, I, did, I didn't try that, but I could run to right before work and still have energy to spare. And surprise, surprise, things felt a lot better there. I started feeling less tired and I could actually kind of study with a clear head after work when I wasn't running. Mm. And yeah, it was it was a big improvement for me in terms of work-life balance, which again, is a big theme for me in my career. It's something that's important. When, you, when you've got something that takes as much time as running, you've, you've got to be really careful with your time. And yeah, that's, that's probably enough on that one. But yeah. <laughs> so when, when did you qualify? How long did it take? It took a while, but again, I guess it's that balance between having my running and having my exams. I knew that I'd have qualified a lot quicker if I'd just studied full time and I'd not worried about running. And indeed, that was what my mum was always telling me to do. But then in the back of my mind, I was thinking like, this running's good. I'm just getting good at it. If I give it up now, I am never going to be young again. So I'm going to make that decision. I've got to run because I'm not going to have this again. I can qualify any time in my life, but I'm only going to get to run in this short period and then it will be done. And I'll have to look back on what I've done and be happy with it. So I, basically, I had to live with that. I have to live with the fact that I'm going to qualify a bit slower. I am going to qualify, but it's not going to be overnight. And for that reason, I did miss a few sittings. I got a few more failures maybe than I should have, but I managed to qualify in 2009. Okay. Nice Christmas present for myself. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Tell us about the, the, the running, because I can see us mentioning it a few a few times. I, I saw on LinkedIn you represented your county. Um, yes. But, but yeah. yeah, give us a feel for what you were doing, what distances, what, what your goals were there. To start with, it, it was motivated by my mum. She sort of said, oh, you should have some other interest to put on your CV. So I thought, yeah, that sounds sensible. So I'll start jogging. So when I was 20, when I was still at university, another wake-up moment, I guess, as well, which kind of motivated me to run, is I, I ran with my friend who was living with me at that point. He was a county standard badminton player. And I thought as a 20-year-old lad, as everyone does, very confident, oh, I can run. It's easy. Like, I'm, I'm young, I'm strong, but I ran 100 yards and I had to stop. <laughs> I was absolutely done in. So... I went away that summer and I trained and then I came back and I could run better over distance than that guy. So I already knew that I could do it. I could train and I could run. So I kept doing that. And that second and third year at university, suddenly I was really good at studying. 
it wasn't just my running that was helped. So I, I really improved. And that was another reason why I did it. Yeah. It just, that was, that was before you could really, you really had discussion about kind of mental health and, and running be good for you to relax. But looking back on it, I think running gave me that relaxation and sort of enabled me to focus harder on my studies as well. So I carried on. And when I stopped university, that's when I joined a club, first of all. And then I guess over the, the next decade, I just got gradually better and better. And I trained more and more. And obviously, that takes away time from everything else. But I then, I think when I was 26 or so, I started racing on the track and doing actual races. And then I, I continued. And I hit my best form when I was... 30 or 31 I think so it's relatively late but as I'd started late that's how it happened and then I think by that point I was I'd won probably about 10 county medals and I carried on and, and won some more but it's just there's nothing like the feeling back at that time of winning a race and then that you can carry that through to the rest of your life and it really gives you confidence yeah and I think that's what helped me with my studies originally as well it gives you confidence there's something something else in your life that you can do and you can do well and it helps you relax and it helps you do the other things in your life better as well whilst i think that was the case at university i think it probably became counterproductive when i got to sort of actual studies because of the fact that my life was that much fuller mm -hmm. so instead of kind of having time to do everything it was a real struggle and i was really tired but by that point i was so invested in running and I was getting so good at it I, I couldn't afford to back off and just do the odd run a week because I know that I would have lost all my form and I wouldn't be winning races anymore and winning the odd prize or two and the, the these county medals I mean they'll be with me forever and for me sort of yeah I'll never have it I'd never want it any other way and what's your relationship with running now are you still do you still enter races and things or is it more for just for pleasure I, I haven't raced for a long time because I mean now with a family on top of it I've got a family instead of studying yeah. I guess so <laughs> I'm also getting older I know I'm never going to run those times again so I have backed off and I only run once a day but I do run every day still except for one day so you could still say I'm, I'm fairly serious and usually when I'm well I'm, I'm running sort of 50 miles a week so I still run a lot yeah but as I don't have to study as well my life is a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> so a message out to students, I suppose, that, yeah, carry on with it, persist and pass those exams, even if it takes you longer, because it does get easier afterwards from a work-life perspective. So it's worth it's worth going through that to get through it. Yeah, fantastic. So so you qualify in, in 2009. That's when you uh, you worked for another company. So you, I don't know if, if you want to name companies, we don't have to, but you, you, you move to a place where you're focusing on public sector schemes. That's, that's fine. So I, I was working for GAD at that point in time. Yeah. And I think GAD had a very good work-life balance as well. They had um, flexi time. So you didn't, if you worked long hours, then you had the, you could take sort of shorter days afterwards. Yeah. And I think that helped me a lot to focus on my final exams and to get through them. As I said, I was a mathematician, so those later exams were a lot more difficult for me. But yeah, with with the extra time I got with working at GAD, sort of getting my evenings a bit freer, it was easier to balance it all. And I managed to get the final few exams. And what, what was your sort of, what were your career motivations at this point? Were you searching, you know, you, you worked for a, a couple of different consultancies. 
what were you looking for from GAD? Was it were you, were you searching for more maths content? Were you was it the variety piece? Um, did you know where you wanted to go and what you wanted to get out of your career at that point? I think yeah, my, my immediate focus on was on qualification at that stage, and then once I've qualified, then that's kind of where I started thinking, what do I want in the longer term? It, I finally could look at the longer term because the shorter term had been dealt with, but it was at that point I started to think, well, pensions. I've been proved wrong subsequently, but then I was thinking, pensions, how long are they going to be around? Is this really going to be kind of where I want to be for the next like 30, 40 years or however long it is with us having to work longer and longer nowadays? Is this where I want my career to be? So I was kind of thinking, well, it'd be nice to do something different, but how different would it be? And I was looking for a, a couple of options, and I think you were involved in some of them at that time. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I had two. I actually was lucky enough to have two offers made to me on different jobs, and I had a choice: do I go into something a bit different on the pension side, or do I move across to life insurance? And it, it was a difficult decision because both of the opportunities would have given me something different, something interesting to do. But at that point in time, I was slightly more thinking that it might be an idea to think about what could be outside of pensions. So I, I did go with that life insurance option. And similar question to earlier when, when I was asking at university, did you know what I actually did? At the point that you're going into life insurance, how much did you really know what you were getting into? Obviously, it's different. It ticks that box. But did you know what it would feel like before you started? Not in great detail, but I had studied and passed the um, life insurance subject at a specialist stage. So I at least knew the technicalities and I knew kind of what work actuaries did within life insurance companies, even if kind of what every day was like was a, and exactly how they did, like, for example, the modelling of things. I didn't know the precise detail of that, but I did understand how life insurance companies worked and the different roles that actuaries carried out there. So yeah, I I didn't go in there with my eyes quite as closed as becoming as an actuary. Fine. So what was your first role in life insurance? What what were you doing? And for anyone listening that's never worked in insurance, give them a feel for what the actual job was. Sure. So as a pensions actuary, I was, I was looking for something that wasn't too far from home to start with. And I got a role in financial reporting for an annuities fund. Okay. So that, that felt like a, a nice transition, really. So I was... I was dealing with um, liabilities that were very much like the liabilities I dealt with in valuing pension schemes. So that, that seemed like a natural entrance to me. And when, when I got there, yeah, as when I first started studying to be an actuary, it was different. And you learn that there is like a lot of differences compared to being a pensions actuary and a life actuary. I think the biggest one probably is that technical detail is a lot more important in life insurance. And there's a lot more of it. The modelling is more complex. The products you deal with are more complex. And that's that's really interesting from a mathematical background. But yeah, it's, that's that's probably my big learning that I got first of all. Is that it's much more calculation focused. And I, I always knew that it was going to be less about consulting. But yeah, the, the kind of the depth and the detail of the calculations, you can never understand that till you've done it. Mm -hmm. And what what's it like culturally when you're not a consultant, you're not surrounded by consultants anymore? Did it feel like you're working with a completely different bunch of people or were they actually the same as pensions actuaries just happened to be doing a different job? 
I, I think I had somewhat of a transition from working at GAD. My impressions of GAD was that people there were much more kind of ac academically minded, shall we say, rather than consultants. So I've worked in big consultancies and people can look it up anyway. So the, fir the, place, the first big place I worked at was Mercer. So it's a big consultancy, very commercial the way they operate. I moved to GAD and that, was, that felt much more like they were academically minded people and the detail and the way things were done was much more important to them, calculations-wise. And then you move to a life insurer where the focus is fully on calculation work. And your only clients are internal clients who are also actuaries. Yeah. So it is, it's very different indeed. And you, you kind of, I had a gradual transition, but that's the main difference, really. You're not working with people who don't understand what you do so much. You're working with other professionals. Who have a full understanding so on one on the one hand you don't have to explain everything to them in detail on the other hand you need to do your job well because they're going to see if you don't the approximations you make maybe there's there's got to be more rigor in life insurance because it's more complex anyway so you get you, it's just yeah a different audience in particular and how, how did you handle, obviously you had, you had got to, you know, you had a couple of years post-qualified experience in pensions, you had a lot of experience, knew what you were doing, moving at that stage to insurance where you, you know very little and you learn again. Where did you feel you fitted in? Did you feel like, obviously you weren't graduate because you've got transferable skills, but sure, you might yeah. have felt you were operating below a level that your years of experience suggests for a period of time? Yeah, it felt it felt like a good spot to join actually because at, at the level I joined, newly qualified actuary, it was it was more like you didn't have full responsibility. You were kind of carrying out the the review of calculations, but then you answered to someone more senior who signed off the calculations. So there's that degree of comfort really. You're not expected to uh, to put your hand on heart and say something's absolutely correct. And the company I went to work for, again, people can look it up, so I'll just say it, Phoenix. Mm -hmm. I think I think they were really good at managing that transition, and they'd certainly had a lot of other people from pensions. So they were they were used to what they were getting. And I think that was part of the reason why it was such an easy transition. They 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 were used to people making that transition. And I think if I'd come in at a more senior level, that would have been harder. But I think newly qualified was a good place to come in. Yeah. Did you relocate at this point? I did, yeah. Was that for the job, or you wanted to relocate anyway? Yeah. Correct. It was. It was for the job. It is harder to crack into the London market as someone with no experience of life insurance. Yeah. So I needed to make that move. And again, it's not something I would have chosen to have done, but the area was actually very nice, and yeah, I was very happy there. Nice. And then, so if we're naming companies, so you did sort of nearly four years with Phoenix, then you moved to Aviva. Was, yes, was that doing yeah. similar type of work or was that again looking for a bit something a bit different similar similar work i mean by that point i'd moved out of just reporting on annuity schemes and i reported well say schemes funds <laughs> as a pensions actuary i talk about schemes but they're funds in life insurance and i was i'd learned to do like calculations for all sorts of different insurance products by that point so i felt i was well-rounded and i was able to cope with anything so when i came to aviva it was friends back in that day, yeah. And yeah, that I joined them, and I kind of I I was more in, involved in financial reporting on general funds that weren't just the um, weren't just pensions funds. But I guess in time, 
I also got involved in looking a bit at with profits funds when I got to friends. But yeah, that's my first dabble in that, which is something different again. Yeah. If someone's in pensions and they're considering, should I move to insurance? The attraction is fairly obvious. It pays quite nicely. You haven't got the worry of what our pensions actually is going to be doing in 20, 30 years. Um, Correct. Are there any things that you would say to them just to make them aware? Yes, these are the pros, but you need to be aware of this, that and the other in terms of how it's different. Are there things that maybe you wish you knew in advance or um, any advice you'd give? If you do enjoy like working with clients and you do enjoy kind of that variety of different work, then you need to take care. I think on the first one, you can actually do things that make sure you continue to get that experience of working with clients. For example, if you join buyout teams Mm -hmm. on the other side where you're joining kind of where insurance companies are making like they're actually providing bulk annuities, then you could use your consultancy skills very well with that using like talking to pension schemes, talking to consultancies where you used to work. That could work really well. But if you do a financial reporting role, such as the ones I picked up, they're very internally focused roles. And if you don't mind kind of that internal role, that's fine. But you won't get to deal with external clients. You won't get that same variety. If you like variety, then be very careful because there is variety to be had in a life insurance company if you can move around. So maybe you need to take care when you're joining that you can actually see a few different functions. For me, I found it was hard to move much. I got involved in two functions, modeling and reporting. But beyond that, I found it difficult to move elsewhere. And if you're just in those roles, you've got a very cyclical role and you do valuation work the whole time, really, Mm. in my experience. So every half year, every quarter of year, you have those deadlines to meet, your evaluation work to do, and it happens relentlessly every year, every half year, every quarter year. And to start with, the experience is like novel and new, and you're learning something each time. But for me, I just found in the end that it just it was lacking for me. I needed the variety that came with pensions consultancy. So for me, that was why I chose to re-enter pensions, as well as the fact that seeing sort of actually, I'm not sure that pensions are going to disappear anytime soon yeah. in, in reality. So Is there much difference in terms of work-life balance between consulting and insurance? Again, I can only say what I've seen based on the places that I work for. And I think it's more about the company you work for, to be honest. So some consultancies are better than others and some life insurance are better than others. I think life insurance is probably a bit more uniform you are going to have very long hard days around the reporting deadlines and then it's it's going to get easier on other days you're never going to work short days though there's always going to be work to do whereas for consulting i think again you're always going to work like a lot but there will be busy periods more sporadically maybe the only kind of guaranteed area where you'll have a busy time in consultancy is if you do accounting work then you're going to have accounting deadlines and they're often on a calendar year end. So you might find as a pensions actuary, if you're a corporate pensions actuary, you'll have that kind of deadline to meet. But apart from that, the good thing about pensions is it's more spread out, but it does mean, I guess, that you're busier more continuously. So it's what works best for you in your lifestyle, really. Do you want to work really hard and then have a kind of a more easy laid back time? Or do you want to work a bit less hard, but still consistently hard in this environment i think kind of in a pensions environment consulting 
So you came back to pensions, so you've, you've, you've given a couple of reasons, you missed a bit of the variety, you realise pensions aren't going away, um, and there's plenty yeah. of work, was there anything else? I mean, it must have been a tough decision, right? Because it's kind of, I guess, once you move back to pensions, you're probably not then going to go back to insurance afterwards a few years later, you, you, you don't want to yo-yo. That's it. That's it, yeah. So I knew for me that was kind of the end for my insurance career, but yeah, it just, it just felt that my skill set personally was better fitted to a pensions role that variety was going to keep me alive it was going to keep me motivated and interested and also see different people like a variety of people not just your fellow professionals but also people outside of your company and different people and normal people not just actuaries all the time actuaries are great don't get me wrong but it's good to kind of talk to other people too and to help other people as well as that so yeah i I definitely made the right move there for me. What was the learning curve like this time? Did it, did it all come flooding back instantly from, I mean, what was the gap uh, 2011 to 2019? So sort of yeah. eight-ish Just years. under 10 yeah. years, I guess. Yeah, something like that. So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't too bad. But obviously I hadn't built on my experience from being a new qualified pensions actuary. So I had to rejoin as a newly qualified actuary. That was the sacrifice I made to get kind of a work environment that I enjoyed more. So I was happy to do that. But yeah, you need to be aware of that, I guess, is if you move somewhere, you're not necessarily going to be at the same seniority. For life insurance, when I moved there, I was pretty much the same seniority. Maybe I was straight back to being a brand new qualified actuary, but I didn't notice too much difference. But to go back to pensions, it was a little bit different. I had a slightly more junior role there, but for me, that was that was fine. I had the longer term kind of objective in my mind. Yeah, and now, so you're you're working for ActEd. So what was the what's the process behind that? And 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 tell us tell us more about that because when you were talking about it, you sound like you absolutely love it so far. Yeah, I really, really love it. Definitely. So as I said, I like I like the idea of helping people, not like within the company necessarily, but outside too, seeing lots of different people. When I got to um, Willis Towers Watson or WTW, again, we're talking about names, I'll just say that. That's where I worked immediately before ActEd. And they were good enough to give me more variety even than I'd hoped for. They gave me a role that allowed me to train like different people around the company. So mid-qualified actuaries and quite junior actuaries I was able to give training to. And it was during that, really, I'd always kind of had an idea that I might like people management. But the parts of people management I enjoyed more was teaching, yeah. kind of helping people in their careers, helping them to understand what they need to do, not just the technical detail, but kind of how to get on in a commercial environment. And I found that really rewarding. But as I say, WTW, they're really good at allowing you to do things that you enjoy doing. So it's a lot easier to move around, say, than in some life insurance companies. And they allowed me to do that role. And that really kind of showed me this is what I find enjoyable. This is what I find interesting. I could have moved into that 100% at WTW, but I felt if I'd have done that, then I'd kind of be wasting my actuarial qualification because I wouldn't really be teaching, shall we say, hardcore actuarial kind of subjects and actuarial matter it'd be more kind of like softer mathematical skills and people who are just starting their careers you don't kind of teach the whole gamut of the actuarial kind of subjects to them and I thought well what could be more perfect really like teaching actuarial students through all of the subjects using my actuarial training to its full degree and 
I'd always kind of undenied about being a tutor at ACTED. It wasn't the first time I thought about it, but I just became more and more sure working at WTW that this was something I really wanted to do. So from that point, really, after a few years at WTW, getting that experience, it's a matter of time when an opportunity would come up at ACTED. And so when it did, I jumped at it and applied, basically. Yeah. And tell us about it. How has it been so far? It's, it's really great. I mean, I, again, I guess like a lot of jobs, you can't know what it is in advance and you go into it a little bit ignorant. And it was a very steep learning curve. You've got to learn like to be able to teach a course technically and also to be able to deal with a class of people and to do that for a whole day. When I was training people at WTW, it's like for an hour or maybe three hours at a stretch. But now it's like a full day of teaching. So I went in there and I observed a tutor doing their job. And I just thought to myself, I've got to do this a whole day, like, <laughs> not just an hour or two, a whole day. And I've got to be ready. These guys aren't stupid. I mean, they're mass graduates. They're graduates. They know what they're doing. They're going to ask tricky questions. I've got to be ready for that. So I guess once I joined, I found, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. And it's not just about taking those tutorials. It's about kind of answering the tricky questions you get and also being able to write courses. So again, it's not just about being a mathematician. Even more so, you've got to have drafting skills more than anything I've had elsewhere in actual fact, drafting stuff that's going to be published. Mm -hmm. And so again, that's another steep learning curve that I hadn't fully anticipated. But yeah, I'm, I'm happy to say that it's going well. And it's been hard work, but it's been thoroughly worth it. And who, who are you teaching? Is this when, you know, companies have their study support package, they give you your days, but they also send you off on tutorials. So they're being sent to you sponsored by the company. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So initially I was teaching people doing CP1, which is kind of the mid-level of qualification. So again, I'm not getting those students that are brand new from university. I'm getting the ones that have passed all the early exams. They're, they're quite savvy now and they're, they're thinking hard. They're able to ask quite tricky questions. Yeah. So for me, yeah, that was, that was a challenge, but I've really enjoyed it. And they're all professionals and yeah, you can see that they've, they're already developing well into professionals and it's not like teaching at a school, I'm sure, where people aren't so motivated to learn. But these are people that are coming in. They want to learn. They want to do well. And so you're working together as a team, basically, to help these people get through. And it's, yeah, it's, it's really good. And what does the day look like? Because I, if I think about my time at university, there were some lecturers who I would say they're teaching me. They're actually engaging. They're checking to see if it's going in and that kind of stuff. Yeah, But they were arguably more who were just lecturers. They had their notes, they'd go in the front, they'd, you know, look at their bit of paper, write it on, in those days probably was chalk on a blackboard. Um, they would just get through their material and get out of there. I, I had the really, same experience. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's definitely not like a lecture, that, that much I can say. We're much more like teachers. We're always inviting people ask, to ask questions at any point and regularly we'll be asking questions and getting input from people that we're teaching. So there shouldn't be like long periods of us talking and there's often like breakouts as well where they'll do questions, they'll discuss questions together and they'll come back and they'll say what the answer should be and I'll kind of comment on what I like about that and what maybe they could think about to give a fuller answer. So it's a lot more kind of involved and interactive session than a lecture maybe even than a seminar that you get at university is 
it's a lot more like I always say to them, the more you put into it, the more you'll get out of it. And at any point they can ask questions. And I'm always kind of asking them what they think answers are, or what they think I should sort of be doing next. Yeah. So very interactive, I'd say that. And they need that because of the fact that it's not like university. It's it's almost like back to school in a way in that they've got a nine till five tutorial. But then on top of that, it's just one classroom the whole time. So I, I can see that it's still a challenge for many of them because after a whole morning, they then go and have lunch. They've then got to have a full afternoon of learning. For them, it's really hard work because they're doing learning. They're having to think hard for a whole day solidly. Yeah. And that I think that's a real challenge, even once they've done a few years at work. And presumably, I don't know if this is a silly question, but presumably the to teach a course, even if it's focused on one particular exam, like CP1, is it quite focused on what they're likely to need to pass an exam? Or is it making sure they understand the all of the broad concepts that they're supposed to learn during that? Does, does that make sense? Um, yeah, it does. It does. So I think, first of all, <laughs> I'd, I'd put out an initial caveat, and that is that we are very separate from the examiners. Yeah. And there are there are walls there. We don't know what's going to be asked in the exam. But we can look back at past exams and how they're changing, and we can have a think about what's important. We can also think about the tricky areas of the course, and we will focus on those two things. We won't worry about things that are very straightforward or things that just aren't likely to be tested that much. Mm -hmm. And we will focus on what's important for students. Yeah. And you, you said earlier, the later exams, they're more about... Idea generation. Idea generate. That's, that's it. And, and also understanding what a question is after. So the early subjects, they ask you a question and you give them the answer. There's no black and white about what the answer is. But in the later subjects, you'll get a question and it will have a lot of like talking about a scenario that you'll have to think about too. And you'll get a number of marks and you'll also get some command words in there which give you clues. You first of all got to think about the number of marks. That's going to tell you how much volume you're going to need to write, how many points you're going to need to come up with. And then you're going to need to think about the specific command word. That tells you what they're going to be asking for. So, for example, if they ask you to list things, you can put down two word points and get half a mark for it. If they ask you to describe or discuss something, you need a bit more detail and your points might be a bit more interlinked to get the full marks. And the other thing is that you get a lot of information in these later subject questions and you need to use that information. You can use it, first of all, to generate points. But if you put down any points from the course that aren't relevant, given that information, you won't get any marks for them. So it takes really careful reading and careful thinking about those later subjects. You can't just have a black and white answer. When you when you look back at the last twenty odd years, would you have done anything differently or in a different order or or not? Oh, it's a difficult question that is. I, again, like the running was a bit of a barrier in some ways, but I wouldn't have done that any differently. Um mm, that's, that's a really good question, but I'm not sure there's anything in particular I'd have done differently, really. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I mean, you just don't know what your strengths are necessarily when you start out. I mean, I, I didn't know straight away that teaching was going to be the thing that was for me. It's just as I've gone through my career and as I got more senior, actually, then you start kind of explaining things to more junior colleagues. So you start getting that idea. Teaching could be interesting. It's definitely felt felt good. But yeah, at an early stage, you don't know. So. Yeah. 
I think it's been all very valuable because now I'm teaching. I've got the experience of having been an actuary in the real world. And I can always bring that out in my tutorials and relate to it and explain kind of why what people are learning does actually relate to what they'll see in their careers. So it's all it's all useful, even though kind of ultimately I've decided I want to teach rather than being consult in consulting. Yeah. What advice would you give to someone who's just starting their actuarial career now? Just make sure you find something that you enjoy doing for a start. It's enjoyable and you've got a good, like the work-life balance that works for you, then you'll be able to do well at it. That will be what will motivate you. It's the, it's the same advice for what subject you should take at university. Providing you enjoy something, you're going to do well at it. You can't, you won't last long trying to do something that you're not good at or you don't enjoy. So that's my advice. Yeah. Bonus question. I wasn't planning to ask this, but when you're picking university courses, do you have a view on exemptions? Because I guess there's some people that graduate and they don't need to come to your tutorials because they're exempt from them <laughs> i still think that i would i would go with my original approach which is do something at university that is absolutely what you enjoy and that you'll get the best marks for it's important to get a job for getting a job you need to get that first or even two one now there's a lot of people graduating you have to stand out so i think getting the best possible degree you can is is a first thing you should do as far as exemptions are concerned, yes, you can get exemptions from some subjects. But in a way, that's kind of a double-edged sword because I've seen people coming in with lots of exemptions. And what that means is they have to tackle the hard subjects and a full-time job straight away. And I can only imagine how hard that is. For me, it was kind of like I had that easy entrance. I did some subjects that were more kind of familiar for me before I tackled the hard subjects, by which point I was much more comfortable with working from a nine to five job and studying as well. So I, yeah, I'm not sure if it would have been a good idea for me to have done an actuarial degree because of the fact that would have been an incredible hurdle to climb, yeah. to tackle later subjects and to start working. And for me to try and run as well. But yeah, that's, <laughs> not everyone's got that one. Um, I usually ask this and you've kind of touched it. I'll ask it anyway and see where we go, but I can always throw in a bonus question. Um, what do you think the future looks like for pensions actuaries? Um, I think there'll be work for quite a while there. And the thing is, like, whilst there might not be pensions work to be had, more and more we're seeing how easy it is for pensions actuaries to move around. So I think it's perfectly safe to carry on as a pensions actuary. There's plenty of work to do now. And there will be plenty of opportunities to transfer later on. I mean, even the actuarial subjects, we're seeing that there's more actuarial subjects you can take, which kind of reflects the fact actuaries are working in more and more areas. There's more and more places, more variety that you can get. So, for example, during the time that I've been taking exams, life and care is a new area that's come in. Also, there's a lot more investments than there used to be. But yeah, if you look at the actual subjects, that's kind of an indication in itself. There's plenty of different areas there. And I think pensions actuaries shouldn't feel insecure. They've, they've got that comfort. They've got transferable skills. If they're willing to change and adapt, which I think most actuaries are capable of doing, then yeah, I think carry on working in pensions. As long as you enjoy it, it's perfectly fine to carry on. Fantastic. And if someone's listening to this and they'd like to get in touch with you, ask you a few questions about different parts of your experience, are you happy for them to do so and 
what's the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah, that's fine. So I've got a LinkedIn profile, so I can be reached there. If people are interested in hearing more, then yeah, message me on LinkedIn. That's fine. Perfect. Well, um, James, thank you so much for your time. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Lots to. It, I know we could have gone into so much more detail on on various jobs and things like that, but just listening to you talk and it feels like you've ended up in almost like your your dream job. Everything has sort of led to this, and I, I feel like it. I really do. I should have asked this earlier, actually. But if someone out there is listening and they they've earmarked that for a for a future move, how how did you get the job? Do they just look out for adverts on LinkedIn, that sort of thing, or? Yeah, so there is that, but I was also on a waiting list. Okay. And I know there is one. So if, if you've applied once, you'll probably get the opportunity to go on a waiting list. Okay. And then you'll get you'll get notified when these opportunities come out. Yeah. So that, that was the way I learned about the latest one. I was on a waiting list and I got told so I, it was there. Did I want to apply? And the answer was yes. Brilliant. Well, on that note, yeah, thank you so much for, for your time. Um, no problem. There's so many bits in there that I think people are going to, to love listening to. So, um, yeah, thanks once again and uh, I wish you all the best. Yeah, thanks. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Actuarial People. Please don't forget to subscribe and consider leaving a review. If you have any questions or feedback or any suggestions for future guests, please contact me on info at actuarialpeople.com. This podcast is sponsored by my recruitment company, Turner Perkins, and you can contact me there at james.turner at turnerperkins.com. Hope to see you again.